The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers here in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. Excuse me. <clears throat> I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Memorial Day. And happy Memorial Day to uh, all of our veteran families, uh, those who have family members who have uh, paid with their lives um, to serve our country. And... Um, we we do appreciate those who will give their life in the cause of liberty. And I make that very specific, uh, not those in the cause of tyranny. And we'll get into some of that during the show here, because I do want to speak to that with regards to Memorial Day. And uh, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But if you'd like to check us out online, please do so. 
sonsoflibertyradio.com and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. And um, if you go over to sonsoflibertymedia.com, you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, you can click on over there, join us in the video portion of the radio show. So right, you can see the faces made for radio. Slide down on the right side of the page, second video down, and we are going live. You can enlarge that. You can click on the platform and join us in the chat. We've got a lot of friends in the chat as well. And also, while you're there, if you miss Bradley's show from Saturday, that is available right above where we're going live. He'll be live at 3 p.m. I'm assuming he's going to be live, uh, unless he's got a replay going on for Memorial Day. I'm not sure. But uh, he'll be live at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central today. And then right above that is where you can subscribe to our email newsletter. Again, remember, we don't rent your email out to anybody. We don't spam you. We don't sell your email to people. You just get one email from us a day. That's it. And uh, that's all the articles we have at sonsoflibertymedia.com, including the morning show archive. So you want to sign up for that if you want to get all the information that uh, I share with you during the show. That'll be all in one little succinct article so you'll have them uh, there finally if you agree with our message and you would like to help support us in that message we don't ask you for money we just let you know we have needs and if you're able and you want to help meet those needs we would very much appreciate it there's a donate button at the top of sons click on that or you can become a monthly partner with us as a son or daughter of liberty and that is on the top left part of the web page. Just click onto that and uh, set up things and it'll come out painlessly every month if that's what you want to do. And finally, our store, great conversation starters there, as well as equipping tools for you. And um, let me make mention of the fact that we are also streaming out on Rumble. If you're over there, we've got a lot of people who have been coming over to the Rumble page and we appreciate you guys. Um, man, I this weekend was really great uh, for the show, we appreciate your support and all you guys who are watching and have uh, have tuned in. We appreciate you very much. Uh, that's Sons of Liberty Radio live on Rumble. Sons of Liberty Radio live on Rumble. Be sure to subscribe over there as well. We're also on DLive.TV at The Sons of Liberty. Before it's news.com front page, Cutting Edge TV on Roku. Uh, you can sign up for our YouTube channel if you want to. I don't, I don't know what we're going to end up doing with that. Um, Anyway, Facebook, Bradley Dean, SOL, uh, FPP Tim on Twitter, FPP Tim on Twitter, Periscope, Setting Brush Fires, and News Tycoon on Setting, uh, excuse me, News Tycoon on Twitch. So if you're on any of those platforms, you want to pick us up there, you can do that. We would very much appreciate your support. Now, with that said, I, you know, I had some thoughts yesterday concerning Memorial Day. And it's getting to where... You know, we have to make distinction about things and, and how they're done. For instance, our Constitution allows for Congress to declare war, okay? Not the president. And there's a difference if we're under attack. Everybody sees that we're under attack, and the president calls up the, the military, uh, the militia and such to defend us. Everybody gets that. But to go declare a war on another country, say, I don't know, Syria, Yemen, pick your Middle Eastern country or whatever. To go do that requires the Congress to act. It requires them to declare a war. They, do, they were not given authority in the Constitution to take their authority and say, oh, Mr. President, we're going to give you that. They don't have that authority to do that. Just like he doesn't have the authority to give his authority to Congress. 
Okay? Or either, this is why there is separation of powers. The whole idea is to separate those powers, not to start slowly, gradually kicking them over and making a king out of the executive branch. But we've been seeing that for some time go on. And we've seen unconstitutional wars. In fact, pretty much every one of them has happened after World War II that have not been declared. We've just gone and done stuff. And with that, men who signed up to serve went, believing that they were doing their duty. And so this morning, I want to call back to the doing of duty. Many of our veterans did that. They did that sacrificially. They didn't do it to gain an education. They didn't do it to to get something from the government or from their fellow neighbors. They went because they truly believed they were fighting in the cause of freedom and liberty. They believed there was a just cause. They believed there was a just war, and they went to that. Our Lord Jesus also saw something before him. He saw a people to save unto himself. And he made a covenant, he made a compact, he made a promise with the Father before any of us were ever created that he would lay down his life to save a people. Bradley often talks about our military, uses the military sort of as a, uh, an example in the physical world and the natural, as he puts it, to speak about the spiritual work that Christ had, did, had done. And we're going to get into some of that. But there's some things I want to share with you uh, this morning, and then I want to get into the battle that we have here in the United States and really around the world. Let me give you some information about Memorial Day. Uh, Our friends over at Ammo.com, Sam Jacobs, he's their resident historian, as you will. We've had him on the show before. And uh, Sam had did a piece on Memorial Day, and I thought I would share some of these things out of Memorial Day so that people understand the history that's there of why there's a day of remembrance. More than maybe a day of celebration, yes, we celebrate, but a lot of us forget what it took for us to be able to do what we do. And this is from... Memorial Day, the Forgotten History of America's Memorial Day and what it commemorates. Uh, Again, this is by Sam Jacobs. It's on sonsoflibertymedia.com. It'll be in the archives later this morning. But just so you guys hear a little bit of this history, let me read it to you a little bit. Memorial Day is more than just the unofficial start of summer. It was originally a celebration of the lives sacrificed on both sides during the war between the states, we know it as the War of Northern Aggression. Okay? Not an official federal holiday until 1971. The history of Memorial Day is one of controversy. This guide traces the origins of this American day dedicated to remembering and honoring those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. And again, remember, this comes out of the War of Northern Aggression. If you really want to get down to it, who are the good guys on that? Well, 
when you look at the tyrant Lincoln and what he's done, we've had Tom D. Lorenzo on, we've had um, Mr. Jeffries on, and talked about some of this history. If you don't know that history, it's not it, our history has been so twisted to make the good guys the bad guys and the bad guys the good guys that we need time to go back and reflect on what was actually going on. In any case, Memorial Day comes out of a time where there was a just cause. The South was being invaded by the North, and they fought that off. They were fighting that off. That's what they were doing. They were doing their duty. Sam goes on and he says, While the day was eventually codified as a Civil War-centric holiday, People had laid flowers on the graves of fallen soldiers for decades before there was such a thing as Memorial Day or Decoration Day, as it is sometimes called. Annual Decoration Days were most common in the American South because the American South was more rural and agrarian-based. It was not uncommon to have a family cemetery. It was here that families would gather for picnics and grave decorations. The early celebrations were not about remembering the fallen from the war, They were effectively extended family reunions, a sort of folk ancestor worship specifically developed out of the folkways of the American South, a religious service typically accompanied the meal. A Richmond Times Dispatch article from 1906 documents a June 3rd, 1861 Warrenton, Virginia celebration. It's the first time a Civil War veteran's grave was decorated. In 1862, there is another recorded example of an early Civil War grave decoration which occurred in Savannah, Georgia. In 1863, there was a decoration of soldiers' graves in Gettysburg. Decoration of graves became widespread after Abraham Lincoln's assassination in 1865. There were at this point over 600,000 American soldiers in the ground. This gave what was a previously existing informal ritual a new significance. It was this year that the federal government began making a national cemetery for the Union War debt. Despite this, the celebrations were primarily a Southern thing. So, how did it become official? In 1966, President Lyndon Baines Johnson declared there to be an official first celebration Memorial Day. The resolution stated that the first Memorial Day was in 1866 in Waterloo, New York, celebrated at the behest of druggist Henry C. Wells and county clerk John B. Murray. This official foundation story of Memorial Day has largely been discredited as a myth. 25 towns currently claim to be the birthplace of Memorial Day. More attested to as the first Memorial Day celebration in the North is May 5th, 1868, proclamation by General John A. Logan calling for a National Decoration Day. He simply adopted the previous existing ceremonies of the American South and transplanted them to the northern states. The first Memorial Day celebrated in the North took place on May 30th, 1868. It is said that the date was chosen because it did not align with any particular battle, thus neither side could be seen as engaging in triumphalism. <laughs> Boy, you don't think one side's trying to do that now and has been for uh, 170 years? Yeah. 
The new holiday spread like wildfire through the northern states. In the first year of the official Memorial Day, 27 states observed ceremonies in 127 cemeteries. This ballooned to 336 cemeteries by the next year. In 1871, Michigan became the first state after the original 27 to make it an official holiday. And by 1890, it was an official holiday in every northern state. The popularity of the holiday led to the reinterment of almost 300,000 northern war dead in national cemeteries. A new American mythology arose because of the celebration of this new holiday. For example, German and Irish Americans who had participated in the war were considered to be Americans by blood due to their sacrifice. Isn't that interesting? There were honest and open discussions of wartime atrocities. The purpose of these discussions was to provide context for the war and what was gained as well as what was lost, not merely sulking around in unpleasant memories. In the 1880s, the ceremonies became much more standard, or excuse me, standardized. This is largely due to the efforts of the Grand Army of the Republic, a veterans' organization for Union soldiers. Pamphlets with rituals, Bible verses, and poems were distributed to local post commanders. Most of these were to go were the go-to ceremonies for Memorial Day, at least in the northern states. The southern states, of course, had a slightly different take on the dead of the Civil War and how best to honor them. Their ceremonies tended to be simpler, more somber, less celebratory, and honored both the Union and Confederate dead. In the South, it was women who took the lead with Memorial Day celebration. The Ladies Memorial Association made it their change, or excuse me, their charge to ensure that the Confederate memorials were kept up and decorated on Memorial Day. And out of this grew the Daughters of the Confederacy, an organization whose numbers quickly grew from 17,000 in 1900 to almost 100,000 by the start of the First World War. In 1868, excuse me, 1868 was the first documented case of Sothrans attempted to add Confederate to the beginning of the name of the day. By 1890, the American nationalist elements were firmly in the saddle, even in former Confederate states. States. While many would complain that the Memorial Day is not a day for barbecuing and drinking beer, this observation goes back to at least 1913. The Grand Army of the Republic opposed a Memorial Day race in the year 1911. However, they were increasingly elderly and had less power than they had even 20 years prior. Ironically, the race, the GAR, Opposed is one of the biggest Memorial Day traditions still going, the Indianapolis 500. It's kind of like Thanksgiving, and you get that. I don't even know who plays now, but it used to be like the Browns and the the, the Lions. That was always the the uh, the Thanksgiving Day thing, the sporting event. In 1950, Congress passed a resolution calling on the nation to observe Memorial Day as a day of prayer for perpetual peace. In 1971, it finally became an official federal holiday. Unfortunately, we can't get any peace because we have other people, movers and shakers, who want us at war. In 2000, President Bill Clinton codified the 3 p.m. observance time that had already been a popular time for remembering our war dead. The president requests that flags on government property be flown at half-mast until noon. However, this is not legally mandated. Some southern states still celebrate a day specific... specifically dedicated to remembering the Confederate war dead, but this does not fall on the same day as Memorial Day. In the case of Texas Heroes Day, 
It falls several months away from Memorial Day in January. More to the point of the holiday's origins, there's a remembrance every year at 3 p.m. local time if you're looking to honor the nation's veterans, look into whatever local celebrations might be available to you. That's Sam Jacobs. Thought I'd give you just a little quick history as it went along in there. Is there something good about that? Yes. The Bible tells us in the Psalms that we are to remind people of the wonderful works of God. And a lot of times that goes back to what God did supernaturally in the midst of the people of Israel and also what he did through the people Okay, in winning their battles. And so when we look back in our history... What we see is, is we see men who gave their lives, who were willing to lay down their lives for a principle. They were willing to lay down their lives on behalf of others to protect them. I recall one particular scene from the film Gods and Generals. If you guys haven't seen that, I would highly recommend it. In fact, I'd recommend you see the entire series. Gettysburg, and I forget the other one that was that was there. I don't know if it was I don't know if it was titled Civil War or not. Anyway, it's just like a trilogy. But Gods and Generals, I'd highly recommend. And in that, you have Stonewall Jackson, and he's confronted with the fact that three of his men have become deserters, and the sentence for desertion is death. They're going to shoot you. And the man comes in and he tells him, he says, you know, one of the Stonewall Brigade is these three men, they're, they're deserters. And you can tell it really bothers him. Like he's cut to the heart about it. And he tells the man to do his duty, lead the results up to God, which is go put him to death, let God deal with it. And, he, and, he, and, the, and the guy is looking so bothered by what he's got to do that Jackson comes over and he says, you know, these men didn't just run from the, for themselves. They were to fight and protect the women and the children that are behind us. We're their protection. So when they fled, when they deserted, they didn't just desert our army. They deserted the women and the children back here. See, it wasn't a victimless crime, and it was a crime. The other man had stood strong. They understood what the cost was, and they understood what they were fighting for. It was very important that this be understood, because if you don't, what are you going to do? You're going to cower in fear. You need to see what's before you and what is being protected. Something else from Memorial Day in 1982... At Arlington National Cemetery, Ronald Reagan said of those who died in service of our country, quote, our first obligation to them and ourselves is plain enough. The United States and the freedom for which it stands, the freedom for which they died, most endure and prosper. Their lives remind us that freedom is not bought cheaply. It has a cost. It imposes a burden. And just as they whom we commemorate, were willing to sacrifice, so, much, so too must we, in a less final, less heroic way, be willing to give ourselves. Now, <clears throat> if I could elaborate on that, I would say, you go to the words of the Lord Jesus. Do you want to honor the Lord Jesus? I hate to even use the term veteran for the Lord Jesus. He's not a, he's not a veteran. 
He's the king. Not many kings these days will lead their people into battle. But Jesus did. And he paid the ultimate sacrifice in doing that. And so how should men therefore live? Sulking? Sombering? (laughs) No. We should live our lives unto him, as was just said here. We should live it in our love demonstrated for a fellow man. One of our great founding fathers was the Reverend John Witherspoon. And I don't even like using the term reverend. I just, I don't. I was given that when I was ordained, and I'm like, don't, don't call me that. John Witherspoon, the president of Princeton, he was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And he said in the sermon, the dominion of providence over the passions of men, this is from uh, May 17, 1776, it is in the man of piety and inward principle that we may expect to find the uncorrupted patriot. Listen to that very carefully. It is in the man of piety and inward principle that we may expect to find the uncorrupted patriot, the useful citizen, and the invincible soldier. God grant that in America true religion and civil liberty may be inseparable and that the unjust attempts to destroy the one may in the issue tend to support an establishment of both. But I want you to notice what he said at first. And then I want you to compare it to those who would call themselves patriots. Okay? It is in the man of piety and inward principle that we may expect to find the uncorrupted patriot, the useful citizen, and the invincible soldier. The man of piety and inward principle. What is he talking about? I think he's alluding to the very things that George Washington talks about. He says the one the, the, the someone cannot rightly call themselves a patriot if they're going to undermine the pillars of religion and morality. Specifically that of the Christian religion and the morality that comes from the law of God. And yet today, what do we have? We have all kinds of people claiming that they're they're patriots who follow the anonymous cue, who uphold evil, wicked men, who look to man to be some sort of God. Now, they won't say that. They temper their tongue on that. But they look to them to be their savior, to save us from economic destruction, or whatever. And yet Witherspoon, one of our founders, signer of the Declaration, said, it is the man of piety and inward principle who is the uncorrupted patriot. General George Washington, again, the head of the armed forces, made a similar remark. He said, To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to laud the more distinguished character of Christian. He spoke these words to his troops who were freezing and starving at Valley Forge. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to laud the more distinguished character of Christian. 
it's really interesting. I have no particular affection for FDR. But in 1941, he was president. He had a special edition of the New Testament issued to the military by the Gideons. And um, here's the words of the preface to that particular edition of the New Testament. To the armed forces, as commander-in-chief, I take pleasure in uh, commending the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces of the United States. Throughout the centuries, men of many faiths and diverse origins have found in the sacred book words of wisdom, counsel, and inspiration. It is a fountain of strength and now, as always, an aid in attaining the highest aspirations of the human soul. Well, you know, I kind of wish FDR would have taken his own advice and actually read the book and then acted accordingly because, again, the welfare state basically is his creation and you don't find that anywhere in Scripture. You just don't find it there. In any case, we have some other things. I want to make a couple more quotes, and I want to get into what's going on today and what we need to be doing. It was the late Charlton Heston who said, Rank-and-file Americans wake up every morning increasingly bewildered and confused at why their views make them lesser citizens. Now, why is that? It's because we become divided. We don't, we're not centered around the same values, the same principles, the same Bible. We're not even centered around the same God in many cases. There is a dividing happening. And the question then becomes, whose side are you on? As it was said after the Exodus, who's on the Lord's side? Who's chosen to be on the Lord's side? And Memorial Day is a good time to remember that. Whose side are you on? Are you those principled individuals who are uncorrupted patriots? Or are you those who drape your corruption in the American flag? Ask yourself that. The one who gave his life. And here's the interesting thing. The one who gave his life, knowing he was going to give his life, knowing he wasn't going to get out of it alive, so to speak, at least at the time. And he did so for undeserving people. You know, many of the soldiers who fought in the War of Northern Aggression or any of the World Wars or any of the wars since then or whatever, most of them probably fought with the idea, I'm going to make it through this. I'm going to get out. Some did, some didn't. The Lord Jesus went into the battle knowing he was going to lay down his life and he was going to lay down his life for undeserving sinners, those who had broken the law. And he was doing it with a specific purpose, and that is that he might reconcile them back to God, that they not be divided anymore. What are we doing today? Are we living for what men in the past fought for to provide for us? Namely, the Lord Jesus and 
those in the flesh who have given their lives on our behalf. Are we doing that? Colin Powell, whatever you think of him, said this, All of us lead busy lives. We have little time to pause and reflect. But I ask of you, do not hasten through Memorial Day. Take the time to remember the good souls whose memories are a blessing to you and your family. Take your children to our memorial parks and monuments. Teach them the values that lend meaning to our lives and to the list of our nation. Above all, take the time to honor our fellow Americans who have given their last full measure of devotion to our country and for the freedoms that we cherish. Well, in the midst of that, give thanks to God for those people. Again, Psalms tells us that we are to remind our children of the wonderful works of God, what He's done. One of the great joys in homeschooling was to have all of these books that had history in them. And you sit down with your kids and you'd read those stories. And many of them would just break your heart because I remember, and this wasn't even for here, but I've told you guys about the book Fair Sunshine, which is about the Scottish Covenanters, who are really our forebearers uh, before the War of Independence. And you'd read these stories over and over, different guys fighting on behalf of their people, protecting them, defying the tyrants, if you will. Many of them meeting a, a cruel death at the hands of their oppressors and yet willing to give every sense of devotion in that battle to their one and only king, the Lord Jesus. See, it's not just enough to remember those who have given. There also must be that which points back to the one who gave them to us. And often... He is out of the picture now. Christ is out of the picture completely. And things are just kind of going along. That's the way people view it. Rather than it being his story, history, that's being played out. So, what do we have today? We can remember this. How should we honor those who have given so much on our behalf. I was going to take quite a bit of time here, but I, I've just got a, f a few minutes where I can take uh, and show this video because um, the other week I spoke about Dr. Anthony Fauci and I said, this guy is a Nazi. That's what he is. Yeah, he came from Italy. I get it. <laughs> you know, I get all the things that he's done. The fact of the matter is, this guy is a modern-day Nazi. Now you say, well, why are you bringing that up in the midst of Memorial Day? Because many of our veterans fought against Nazis. And they fought against communists. And they fought against all kinds of un-American or anti-American, anti-Christian regimes in the past. And yet here we sit saying we're going to honor their memory, and remember those who gave us freedom while we let people like Anthony Fauci walk free 
in America and even have say as to the policies that are being put in place to oppress you and me. Why do we do that? Are we really honoring the memory of either the Christ or our veterans by letting that go on? Is that what we do? Let me play you something. I put this out over the weekend. And um, we all know that Dr. Fauci was taking our money and he was sending it over to Wuhan lab in China. We, we've got that documented. Now, why in the world? <clears throat> I, I've never understood it. I did some reports on us bringing in the Saudis and training them on our soil, or Russians and training them on our soil, or other armies and training them on our soil with this stupid mentality, oh, we're going to win the hearts and minds of the people, blah, 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 blah. Well, we show them everything that we're doing, which seems pretty stupid. Are they doing that for us? Seems stupid to me. In any case, here he was, financing money to the Wuhan lab in China, And now, we discovered that in 2012, he said the risk of a lab accident sparking a pandemic are outweighed by the potential benefits of manipulating viruses via gain-of-function research. So, you dying, you being sick with some kind of manufactured stuff, the benefits of that research outweigh you getting sick or dying. This is Dr. Fauci. Thank you, Senator Collins, for that uh, thoughtful statement. And and, uh, I'm sure whether it's at this particular meeting, appropriations or or others, you'll be watching out for the budgets of NIH, DHS, and uh, others that may be recipients on the panel. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. That's your record, I know. Um, our first to witness is Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, uh, really a, a, a national hero, at least a hero of mine, uh, and I'm sure others, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at NIH. I really appreciate that you're here today, and uh, we look forward to your testimony now. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Senator Collins, uh, thank you for the opportunity to testify today on the NIH mission of performing biomedical research for the purpose of preparing for and responding to naturally emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases and the relationship of this type of research to biological security. As you mentioned in your statement, the issue at hand is the ongoing threat of the emergence of an H5N1 pandemic influenza and the research that was supported by the NIH to address this threat. The conduct and publication of the results of such research in the form of the two manuscripts that you mentioned has focused considerable public attention on the issue of dual-use research namely research that is directed at providing new information critical to the public health, but at the same time has the potential for malevolent applications. My written testimony is submitted for the record, and in my few minutes of time, I will highlight just a few important aspects of this issue. First, the public health challenge. Seasonal influenza is an ongoing threat to public health worldwide and is among the leading global causes of death due to infectious diseases. Each year, influenza causes more than 200,000 hospitalizations and up to 49,000 deaths 
in the United States and up to a half a million deaths globally. Yet influenza has animal reservoirs, especially in birds, and these viruses can undergo extensive genetic changes and jump species, resulting in an influenza virus to which humans are highly vulnerable. Such an event can and historically has led to global disasters, such as the one you mentioned, the prime example being the 1918 global influenza pandemic that killed up to 100 million people worldwide and caused enormous social and economic disruption. There is a clear and present danger that we will have another pandemic since these viruses continue to circulate in the world and are constantly evolving towards pandemic capability as we have seen in 1957, 68, and 2009. Over the last decade, a highly pathogenic H5N1 influenza has emerged among chickens. Rarely, the virus spreads to humans. Since 2003, approximately 600 confirmed cases have occurred in humans in more than a dozen countries shown in red on this poster. Nearly 60% of those reported cases have resulted in death. Should the virus mutate to transmit more efficiently to and among people, a widespread influenza pandemic could ensue. Indeed, nature itself is the most dangerous bioterrorist. And even as we meet today, H5N1 and other influenza viruses are naturally mutating and changing with the potential of a catastrophic pandemic. This is not a theoretical danger. It is a real danger. For decades, NIH has supported basic influenza research included on transmissibility, host adaptation, and virulence. The goal is to anticipate what the virus is continually trying to do on its own in the wild and to prepare for it. Such goals were pursued by the NIH-funded scientists Kawaioka and Fouché and could have important positive implications for pandemic influenza prediction, prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. Kawaioka and Fouché constructed variants of H5N1 avian influenza in order to identify which genetic mutations might alter the transmissibility of the virus. In their studies, they employed a standard influenza animal model, namely the ferret. This slide shows the basic design of the experiments in which the virus was modified to allow for aerosol transmission from one ferret to another. I might point out that one of the causes of the public misunderstanding was the widespread belief that the virus that was transmitted by aerosol from one ferret to another actually killed the ferrets, when in fact that was not the case. We feel that these studies provide critical information and it was important to determine if H5N1 virus that has this enhanced transmissibility would remain sensitive to existing anti-influenza drugs and vaccines. In addition, and importantly, knowledge of the genetic mutations that facilitate transmission may be critical for global surveillance of emerging influenza viruses. Yet, since transmissibility of a virulence virus was increased, this constitutes dual-use research of concern, or DERC, which is shown on this poster. If a particular research experiment is identified as DERC, that designation does not necessarily mean that such research should not be published, nor that it should even be prohibited in the first place. 
However, it does call for us, as you mentioned, to balance carefully the benefit of the research to the public health, the biosafety and biosecurity conditions under which the research is conducted, and the potential risk that the knowledge gained from such research might fall into the hands of those with ill intent. In this regard, the National Science Advisory Board for Biosecurity, or NSABB, was asked to advise the United States government on the publication of these manuscripts. You will hear in detail from Dr. Keim, the chair of that group, about the board's deliberations. Importantly, the public attention and concern generated by this issue has triggered a voluntary moratorium or pause on this type of research on the part of the influenza research community, as well as a fresh look at how the U.S. government handles DERC as manifested by a formalization of a government-wide policy to address the issue. This policy, which was released on March 29th, strengthens and formalizes ongoing efforts in DERC oversight and is described in my written testimony. The ultimate goal of the NIH in its embrace of this new policy is to ensure that the conduct and communication of research in this area remain transparent and open at the same time as the risk-benefit ratio of such research clearly tips towards benefiting society. The public, which has a stake in the risks as well as in the benefits of such research, deserves a rational and transparent explanation of how these decisions are made. The upcoming dialogue related to this policy certainly will be informative and hopefully productive in its goal of benefiting the public with the fruits of such research while ameliorating the associated risks. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Dr. Fauci. Right. That was an uh, excellent there introduction. There we go. There, and Joe Lieberman. Anybody seen Joe Lieberman in, in some time? You hear what Dr. Fauci is saying there. You said, now what does this have to do with all the stuff you said before? Because our veterans have fought against people like Dr. Fauci, the ideology that he has. Let me ask you something. Where is the NIH mentioned in the U.S. Constitution? It's not. Where is the federal government authorized to be taking care of our health in the Constitution? It's not. Where is money to be going from the American people to Dr. Fauci to pay him or to uphold the NIH in the Constitution? It's not. It's not there. Dr. Fauci is the face of the NIH. Both are unconstitutional to be in the positions they're in. How is it that we are so easily distracted to third world dictators as though they're the baddies when the tyrants in D.C. continue to do what they're doing? If D.C. was in, I don't know, pick your country that's got resources... They would be pointed out as the criminals they are, and rightly so. But somehow, when it's on, when it's here, when it's here in America, it doesn't get the veterans going after them, does it? And this is where it is the people's responsibility. I've said this over and over. When you read Romans 13, who's the king of Romans 13 in the U.S.? The people are. The people are. 
Even our own constitution recognizes that. We the people. So if America is led by little Nazis like Dr. Fauci or communist sympathizers like China Joe or pick your person, why is that? It's because the people are not thankful for what's been given unto them. Because if they were thankful, what would we do? We would be doing everything in our power to see that justice was brought upon the heads of people like Tony Fauci. We'd be doing everything possible to see that justice was brought upon the heads of people like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, too. Yep. Some people may not like that, but the fact of the matter, he was unconstitutional, too. It's cost people lives. We would be putting a stop to it. But instead, what are we happy to do? We're happy to pass around some memes. We're happy to get frustrated. And things of that nature. Let me touch on just a little bit about what I was saying about the difference of then versus now. Men haven't changed. They're the same. There was a... uh, when we talk about our military, especially remembering those who have served our veterans. Think about what we become as a country in the past, I don't know, 120, 130 years. It's no longer an issue about the people. It's about corporations. It's about fascism. It's about money. And here's the thing. Our friends over at the Free Thought Project put it this way. Before serving your country, first learn who your government is serving. I think that's that's pretty good. And for those listening by way of radio, at the top it's a U.S. soldier saluting the flag. At the bottom it's the Rockefellers. <laughs> There's an idea there. The Minion government are not there to serve the people. They're there to serve their people who've put them there, the people who've given them money. Many of them who are just, let's just call it for what they are. They are anti-Christian, they are anti-American. They call themselves philanthropists in many cases, but they're not. They're out for their own greedy lusts and gains. They're not out there for the people. Now, with that said, I, I've got a lot of information. I'm going to throw some stuff in here on Operation Paperclip and some, some other things that I think need to be pointed out because this issue of Nazism, it's a really big deal that it has come to the... I mean... <laughs> It's a really big deal. It's come to the forefront. Companies still go on in this country, like IBM and others, who aided our enemies against us. How is that? How is that? How have the people forgotten the price of liberty that was given 
by these that we remember today. And yet we don't live in light of that to do what is right. The one thing, I've said it over and over and over and over again, the one thing missing in America, it's not an economy. It's not better plans, policies, laws. It's justice. We haven't brought justice. And by the way, when you go back into a just war theory, the idea is to bring justice. Is to bring justice upon evildoers. God even used foreign armies and called them his to bring punishment against his own people. And what are we doing? In America, we're allowing it. We're allowing the corruption. We're allowing the murder, not only of the unborn. My goodness, this, this, this experimental injection is genocide. And you can go by find the roots of this all back to I.G. Um, Farben. Right out of Nazi Germany. You can find the same thing. I'm going to provide some additional resources in the, uh, in the archive this morning on Operation Paperclip and I.G. Farben. You would do well to read that. Understand where we're at and why we're here now. And you'll understand the call of why we call for repentance. It's Memorial Day. Remember those who've died in the service of the people, not the service of their masters. Give thanks to God for His goodness because ultimately He is the giver of liberty. And then do live your life in light of that sacrifice given for you. Guys, our veterans, those who continue to serve, thank you. Live in light of the law and of the glory of God, of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Honor Him, and I think we'll see a change in our country. We don't want to do that. We don't really have much hope. But I am hopeful because Jesus is on the throne, right? Let's live in light of Him, all right? 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Bradley be with you 2 p.m. Central. We'll see you at 6 a.m. in the morning. Adios.